It is vain, sir, to extenuate the matter. Gentlemen may cry, peace, peace, but there is no peace. The war is actually begun. The next gale that sweeps from the north will bring to our ears the clash of resounding arms. Our brethren are already in the field. Why stand we here idle? What is it that gentlemen wish? What do they want? Is life so dear and peace so sweet as to be purchased at the price of chains and slavery? Forbid it, Almighty God. I know not what course others may take, but as for me, give me liberty or give me death. On March 23, 1775, Patrick Henry faced the Second Virginia Convention as they debated whether or not the colony of Virginia should fund an army in response to the military oppression that England had been giving. His speech convinced the convention. They funded the army. And within just a month, the shot that was heard around the world was fired. And the war for our liberty was begun. As far as Patrick Henry was concerned, there were but two choices. Liberty or death. Interestingly, as we go to our Bibles, we find that that is in fact the very same two choices that God offers to us. Liberty or death. Was Henry aware of the biblical ring that his statements had on that day? I am convinced that he was. If you read his entire speech, it is so filled with biblical illusion, it is almost overwhelming. He understood that for them, in facing an oppressive government, he had but two choices, liberty and death. We face an oppressive tyrant, and our choices are the same, liberty or death. As we consider this, we recognize where death comes from. The oppressive tyrant that we face and all of humanity has faced throughout all time is, of course, sin. If we look in Romans chapter 3, Romans chapter 3, we find the havoc it has wreaked in our lives, the slavery and the chains with which it has bound us. In Romans chapter 3, beginning at verse 9, Paul said, What then? Are we better than they? Not at all, for we have already charged that both Jews and Greeks are all under sin. As it is written, there is none righteous, not even one. There is none who understands, there is none who seeks, after, who seeks for God. All have turned aside, together they have become useless. There is none who does good, there is not even one. Their throat is an open grave. With their tongues they keep deceiving. The poison of asps is under their lips. 
whose mouth is full of cursing and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. Destruction and misery are in their paths, and the path of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. And then in verse 23, Paul wrote, For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We've all sinned. Every single one of us have come under the slavery and oppression of this tyrant. And it has taken away our life and our liberty. Paul demonstrates that our that this tyrant sin as all tyrants is a deceiver is a liar. In Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 13. The Hebrew writer says, "...but encourage one another day after day, as long as it is still called today, that none of you will be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin." You see, sin promises a great deal. John points out to us that sin through the lust of the eyes and the lust of the flesh and the pride of life promises a great deal to us. It promises happiness and fame and power and money and fortune. But what does it deliver? Look in James chapter 1, beginning in verse 13. In James chapter 1, beginning at verse 13, James writes, Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted by evil, and He Himself does not tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin. And when sin is accomplished, it brings forth death. Do not be deceived, my beloved brethren. What does sin produce? It does not produce contentment and happiness. Oh, we may get some fame and some fortune out of it for a time, but in the end, it produces death. Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 20. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 20, Paul wrote, Romans 6.20, For when you were slaves of sin, you were free in regard to righteousness. Therefore, what benefit were you then deriving from the things of which you are now ashamed? For the outcome of those things is death. But now, having been freed from sin and enslaved to God, you derive your benefit resulting in sanctification and the outcome eternal life. For the wages of sin is death. But the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Sin promises much, but all it delivers is death. And we're not here speaking about a physical death, though certainly some sins end in a physical death. We're actually talking about a spiritual death, a separation from God. But if we do not correct, we will carry with us into eternity as we go into torment forever and ever in agony, separated from the One who would give us liberty. How can we be liberated from this tyrant? How can we have freedom instead of death? Paul addresses these issues 
As he points out, first of all, we recognize that we receive liberty through God's grace. Isaiah chapter 59 and verse 2, you will remember, will point out that our sins have separated us from our God. And we need that which will bring us back into union, into fellowship, into reconciliation with God. Paul discusses that in Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8 and verse 1. Paul says, Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did, sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh. And as an offering for sin, He condemned sin in the flesh so that the requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. You do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. What a powerful statement. All the more amazing because Paul is making these statements as just following a description of our lives as sinners. In Romans chapter 7, beginning at verse 14, Paul says, For we know that the law is spiritual, but I am a flesh, sold into bondage to sin. For what I am doing I do not understand, for I am not practicing what I would like to do, but I am doing the very thing I hate. But if I do the very thing I do not want to do, I agree with the law, confessing that the law is good. So now no longer am I the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. For I know that nothing good dwells in me, that is in my flesh. For the willing is present in me, but the doing of the good is not. For the good that I want, I do not do, but I practice the very evil that I don't want to do. But if I am doing the very thing I do not want, I am no longer the one doing it, but sin which dwells in me. I find then the principle that evil is present in me, the one who wants to do good. For I joyfully concur with the law of God in the inner man, but I see a different law in the members of my body waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin which is in my members. Wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of death? Here Paul describes the one who is trying to be justified by keeping the law perfectly. But what does he find? As hard as he tries, sin has become a master over him. Because he has committed sin and walked down the path of least resistance, sin has become second nature. It's the natural course for him. And what does he find? Despite the fact that in his mind he says the law is good and I want to follow after the law and he makes commitment after commitment after commitment to do what the law says, repeatedly he finds himself falling short of that law. We may not fully understand everything that Paul says in this chapter and I will admit it, some of it's confusing to me, but I do know this. I know this feeling. I know this feeling of having made the commitment not to sin again and yet once again having to ask for forgiveness. And I know this plea that Paul gives, O wretched man that I am, who will set me free from this body of sin and death. And in chapter 8 and verse 1, he says, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Why is there no condemnation? 
Not because those who are in Christ Jesus have looked at this problem. Not because those who are in Christ Jesus have suddenly learned how to live sinless lives and we've committed ourselves to being sinless and then we're doing it. But because Jesus died on our behalf. And His blood washes away the sins that we have committed. His grace reaches those in Christ and washes their sins away. Look in Romans 3. That chapter where Paul had described how sinful we all are, in verse 21 of Romans 3, Paul continued, But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ, For all those who believe, for there is no distinction, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified as a gift by His grace through the redemption which is in Christ Jesus, whom God displayed publicly as a propitiation in His blood through faith. This was to demonstrate His righteousness. Because in the forbearance of God, He passed over the sins previously committed. For the demonstration, I say, of His righteousness at the present time so that He would be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus died on the cross. He was a propitiation. That is a sacrifice offered to appease the anger of God. And through that sacrifice, God's grace is is offered to those in Christ and washes their sins away. Liberty, freedom from sin and death is found in Christ. Christ and through Christ's grace. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9 nails it down. In Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, Paul said, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works, so that no one may boast. Liberty is found through the grace of God. He offered the sacrifice so that we who are walking a path of certain death could be freed from those bonds and that enslavement and have life and liberty. But do not take that to mean that we can now just sit back and do whatever we want because Paul also demonstrated that God's grace has been given but liberty comes... Not just through sitting back and accepting God's grace, but through faithful obedience to Christ. Faithful obedience to God. In Romans chapter 6, in Romans chapter 6 and verse 1, Paul said, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? When we have entered Christ and we have received the grace from the Father, we are dead to sin. We are no longer to live into it, live in it. We are to step out of it and live in Christ. Verse 8 of Romans 6. Now if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with Him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over Him. For the death that He died, He died to sin once for all, but the life that He lives, He lives to God. Verse 11, Even so, consider yourselves dead to sin 
but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its lust. And do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God. For sin shall not be master over you, for you're not under law, but under grace. Paul says, you're not under law, you're under grace. What's the end conclusion of that? Then start living like you're under grace. Start submitting yourself to God who has given you this grace. And be dead to sin and alive to Him. No longer presenting yourselves as members of unrighteousness, but as members of righteousness, as slaves to God. That's what grace demands. That we submit ourselves to God. Doing His will. Living in His way. If we flip over to Romans chapter 8, we can begin in verse 5 where we left off moments ago. In Romans 8 and verse 5, For those who are according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who are according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. For the mind set on the flesh is death, but the mind set on the Spirit is life and peace. Because the mind set on the flesh is hostile toward God, for it does not subject itself to the law of God, for it is not even able to do so. And those who are in the flesh cannot please God. Verse 12, So then, brethren, we are under obligation not to the flesh to live according to the flesh, for you are living according to the flesh, you must die. But if by the Spirit you are putting to death the deeds of the body, you will live. For all who are being led by the Spirit of God, these are sons of God. For you have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but you received the spirit of adoption as sons by which we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, heirs also, heirs of God, and fellow heirs with Christ, if indeed we suffer with Him, so that we may also be glorified with Him. What do we learn from these passages? Those of us who have died to sin, no longer to live in it, we're no longer to focus our minds on the flesh, but on the Spirit. That is, we're to value the things that the Spirit values. We are to practice the things that the Spirit teaches. We are to think the way the Spirit thinks. Because if we focus on the flesh and the things of the flesh, there is death. But life and liberty comes from being dead to sin and alive to Christ. Liberty comes through faithful obedience. And we must submit ourselves faithful to Christ if we will be freed from the bonds of sin. Now, we can't end this lesson without asking the question, where is that initial victory? How do we initially gain the freedom from sin's oppression? We notice in Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Romans chapter 8 and verse 1, Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. The freedom, the liberty is found in Christ. How do we get there? Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In Romans chapter 6, beginning at verse 1, What shall we say then? 
Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? May it never be. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus have been baptized into His death? Therefore, we have been buried with Him through baptism into death, so that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with Him in the likeness of His death, certainly we shall also be in the likeness of His resurrection, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him, in order that our body of sin might be done away with, so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin." Where do we gain liberty? Through baptism. Being baptized into Christ. Now, many people go to Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, and they'll say, look at this, baptism is nothing more than a symbol. It's nothing more than that symbol by which we tell folks what's already happened to us to bring us into Christ. But when we look at Romans chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we find that it is Oh, so much more than a symbol. Is baptism symbolic? It most certainly is. Clearly, baptism is symbolic of following in the footsteps of Christ, of dying and being buried and then being resurrected just as Christ died and was buried and was resurrected. But in that symbol, some very real things happen according to Romans chapter 6, verses 1-7. through 7. What do we find? Look at verse 2. How shall we who died to sin still live in it? What happens in baptism? We die to sin. Or do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus, what happens in baptism? We enter Christ Jesus. He goes on to say we're baptized into His death. Not only do we enter Christ Jesus, but in baptism, as we are following symbolically in the footsteps of Christ, dying, being buried and resurrected, It says that we enter His death, that blood that He shed at His death to wash away our sins. That's when we come into contact with Him. Verse 4, Therefore we have been buried with Him through baptism into death. We're buried with Christ. So that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Excuse me. We're raised to walk in life through baptism. Not before, not later. In baptism, we're buried into His death and raised to walk in life. Verse 6, knowing this, that our old self was crucified with Him. What happens in baptism? Our old self is crucified with Jesus in baptism in order that our body of sin might be done away with. That body of sin is gone. In baptism. so that we would no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is freed from sin. Liberty. There it is. We gain it by being baptized into Christ. Patrick Henry, on March 23, 1775, gave the two choices for the Virginian colony. He was worried about freedom from political oppression and governmental issues. But as we read through the Bible and we find these very same choices, 
God's concern is about our souls and our eternal salvation. Patrick Henry was trying to raise an army to defeat the British. God is trying to raise us to defeat sin. Have you defeated sin through Christ? Would you pull out your songbook, please?